Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blamo. We're back. I'm back. Wild week. By the way, I'm a dad again. Kind of kind of proud, you know? It's a boy. He's amazing. Trying to get some rest, take care of the family, and uh, thankfully, <laughs> these interviews were recorded before he arrived. So, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here talking to the wall every, you know, rocking this out before the pod drops. Jeez. Having a kid again is great, but you uh, you forget you you have to take care of the kid you already have. So, you know, given the fact that I now have two, I'm like, oh, whoops, yeah, oh, y- you still need to eat dinner? My bad, homie, here's some cereal. It's not, it's not 100% like that, but yeah, it's kind of pretty close. Anyway, a lot of things happened during the pandemic in the fashion scene. I mean, geez, a lot of things have happened during the pandemic period, but a brand that really burst on the scene is Carter Young. I think we were all pretty floored when designer Carter Altman shared the lookbook when the real MVP and friend of the pod, Mr. Paul Banks of Interpol, was the model. Look, the, the looks that Carter had put out are refined, they're subtle, and they, they kind of make you go, wait, I haven't, why, why haven't I thought of this before? <laughs> Carter has a way of making clothes that you think you've always had but never owned. Always had because they're simple and they're great. And never own because when you actually do own one of the pieces, you realize it just goes one step above what you think you had. And Carter admits he's a young guy on the scene, but he speaks with the wisdom of someone who survived every hype train. It's, it's incredible. We discuss his rapid burst onto the fashion scene during the pandemic while still keeping a calm and steady approach to design. We also chat about his upbringing in the Midwest, his consistent work put into the fashion world, working with Matthew Williams of Aleeks, Helmet Lang, and uh, he goes off on how uncool Gen Z thinks social media is. It's, it's very refreshing. I loved it. Let's dive in. So before we jump in, mm-hmm. I got to hear, and, and then obviously, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get through all this, but like you burst onto the scene like a freaking firecracker. Well, this I, is, I gotta, I gotta know the whole deal here. This is so funny. Uh, I mean, right now I, I'm in my kitchen. I've been here for like 30 minutes. I, um, I found this leather factory that sells me like post factory trimmings. So after they've cut out all the pattern pieces, mm-hmm. uh, they like have like the little edge pieces. And uh, I bought this box like three months ago, and I've just been sitting here in my kitchen. With my phone off completely, I'm so happy you texted me so that I heard it was time to come on. But like, I'm in such my own little world. I have no concept of how anything happens. Like, you know, how you found me on the internet, how anyone's found me on the internet. The fact that it's like a burst on the scene thing is is really amusing to me because I'm still just here in my kitchen laying out leather scraps. Wait, well, no, but come on. I mean, you were obviously making stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I, I get you're saying you're, you kind of feel like you've been in your own little world here. But I mean, you've you like had like a pretty full collection and, you know, that when you when you when you first popped off. So like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I just mean in the sense of like, you know, I, I think when I started the line, it was during COVID. So I didn't know who was looking at it. It's not oh. like, I, you know, I did one in-person presentation, which was fantastic, um, you know, uh, during I think it was February of 2020. And then yeah, great timing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember I was talking to, uh, to Guy Trebay, the reporter and he's like, Flex. Yeah. Why is this? Oh, <laughs> why is this? the? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was him. Uh, you know, I started the line when I was like 18. So I didn't know anyone. 
Wait, um, 18? So wait, where are you from originally? Well, let's jump, let's jump back further. Okay. I'm from outside of Detroit. Okay. Yeah, I'm from where, what was, how, what was that like? Uh, it was, it was cool. You know, my mom is a creative. She's like an outsider artist. And, uh, I was always around like creative people growing up and, you know, she taught me an appreciation for art. And then obviously the Midwest is, is an area that I think is overlooked culturally, but there's a lot of interesting things that happen there. Uh, especially like go on, (laughs) well, you know, around the time, Oh, (laughs) you know, around the time that, uh, I guess I was growing up and, you know, getting into my teenage years, I feel like there was a new breadth of life in Detroit and kind of the art communities there and just people, you know, having more interest in the city and more things happening. Mm -hmm. So I remember like one of my first really, I guess, cool experiences down there was my friend Chloe uh, took me to this, this party downtown at this place called Library Street Gallery. And Mm. at the time I was like 16 and uh, it was a Shepherd Fairy art show, and he was like DJing in a milk truck in an alley in the back. Oh, and uh, they wouldn't let Very me cool through. Guy. Yeah, well, it's it was twenty one and up, so I remember I had to sneak through. Hell like, yeah! Oh my god, there's cool stuff happening down here, and nobody's talking about you know what's going on in Detroit. I just had to sneak my way past the security guard, but I found it. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I I do think it's it's may, maybe only been maybe past recession, like the first, like the 08 recession that, Mm -hmm. that Detroit got a better look at things. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it where, you know, and I feel like it's happening again because obviously COVID hit Mm -hmm. and a lot of people left bigger cities for places that had a a bit easier cost of living or more space. And people realized they could be, you know, remote and still get all their stuff done. I mean, but Detroit is, it's hot right now. You know, I mean, oh, I know a friend sure. of mine's in a punk band and him and his band are like going to Detroit to like go. And I'm just like, really? Oh, oh I've okay. been to some great yeah. concerts there. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, you know, growing up in the, in the Midwest is cool. I, I never really felt like um, I had an into culture, but I was absorbing everything through the internet. I think that's maybe something different around the time that I was growing up. It's just everything mm. was so decentralized that I felt like I could participate even if I wasn't you know, physically there. So I feel like, um, were you on like message boards and stuff? Like how are you participating? Yeah. Message boards. I remember, um, it was like right around the time when schools were getting like iPads. So like the internet was accessible during class. I was just on like Twitter looking at, you know, what was going on in the scene and so I wait, found wait, out okay. about things. Cause this is, this is after me obviously, mm-hmm. but I mean, my school, we would have a computer and there would yeah. be the internet on it. But it was it was heavily like regulated. Like there was there was trackers and little privacy mm. things, you know. Because I remember the first thing some kid did was try to go find porn, and obviously, yeah. you know, there was blockers on it. So, are you saying you could you had like full reign on like school internet on an iPad? I mean, I never tried looking up anything that I'd be embarrassed about in my search history. But sure. yeah, I was on Twitter all the time. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I hope my mom doesn't hear this, but like, yeah, I was just in the middle of class looking at like. Sorry, Mrs. Altman. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's uh, this person dress is cool. I'll give them a follow or, you know, and finding that whole community. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. So this kind of snowballs further. And then did you come out to New York for school? Yeah. So before that, um, I was I was 15 and I knew that I was interested in clothing design. Like I mentioned before, like my mom is a creative person and I was always interested in the arts. But I think something about clothing just spoke to me like the immediacy of designing something and then it's like tangible in the real world it's you don't have to get it in like a museum to present it to someone you don't have to like mm. be validated as 
you know, some sort of artist to show your work. It's like people can put it on and see exactly what you're talking about. So when I was 15, uh, I found this internship program that let me live in the NYU dorms. And I, uh, I started working for this bespoke uh, tailoring shop on, I think it was 37th Street. Logsdale? Uh, no, it's, it was called Alexander Nash. Um, okay, cool. It's like, yeah, a really cool shop. And, you know, I kind of learned the basics of, you know, how you measure people for clothes, how patterns were cut, you know, really just doing all of like the running to fabric stores and whatnot. But uh, it was cool. It was, it was a really great experience. I felt like I needed to learn kind of a formalized understanding of clothing before uh, I was able to like get into the industry because I needed to just know the basics before I could, you know, riff on it, I guess. Um, and so the next year, um, I did the same internship program and I got an internship at Kith and I was working under Nick Anacone right when they were in their old, like next to Urban Outfitters on, on mm -hmm. Broadway office. Mm -hmm. I had like a mouthful of braces and I showed up on the first day and I was wearing like suede boots. And I remember he's like, do you wear those every day or? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> like, you're getting roasted on your first day. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you need a pair of sneakers. But it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun. And um, through a lot of the design team there, it was right when they were launching their first women's wear collection. I learned a lot more about like, you know, the production side of things, how to use like the Adobe suite. One of the designers there, Christian Figueroa, has been like a close friend of mine for years now. And he's the one that really kind of taught me how to work with factories and such. Like um, tech packs? Is that what you're Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just like, you know, how to actually, uh, you know, I, I, I went from bespoke tailoring where I learned kind of the formal creation of garments and then i learned mm -hmm. the next year like the modern creation of garments you know online decentralized and you know on Adobe. can you can you elaborate on that for folks who don't know what a tech yeah. pack is so a tech pack um i guess in simplest terms there's like a spec sheet for you know breaking down what fabrics trims and detail call outs you want on your garment that you then send to a factory um so it's you know pretty pretty important if you're not working with like an atelier to be able mm. to communicate uh your design, I guess, in a technical package. So it's this, it's like a model kit if you ever grew up building models or something. Oh, that, that's a great explanation, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, all, all of Ralph Lauren folks, I mean, it's like tech pack world. I mean, everything is, is TP. I mean, it's just, it's wild. It's all day, every day. It's just tech packs, tech packs, tech yeah. packs. <laughs> so, okay. So you're learning basically the the other end of the industry in terms of more mass production versus you know bespoke exactly and then you know i i, I actually felt really empowered by knowing the creative suite and like adobe and how to make tech packs and just kind of the the industry jargon for how to how to make things because then i felt like i could really take any of my ideas and be able to speak the same language as the people who could actually produce it uh -huh. mm -hmm. you know i started making one-off samples myself but uh the learning curve for the types of things I wanted to make was just too high. And I knew I just wanted to hit the ground running. Um, <laughs> so I started making one-off pieces, no real intention of, of making a brand at the time, but just kind of improving, you know, how I execute on something that I ideate. Um, the next year, the summer before I went to college, I'm 17. I'm at, you know, Helmet Lang. I'm learning kind of the wholesale side of the industry. I've had, you know, a great reverence for, uh, you know, the past work of the brand and being there, Right when, right before they were about to do their archive re-release collection, when they brought mm -hmm. on Isabella Burley, um, mm -hmm. like just before that, um, and then I started college at NYU. Um, I, I did like the Gallatin Build Your Own Major program and uh, 
my mom had been going to this and like I guess antique show called Brimfield, if you've ever heard of it. Uh, in Massachusetts. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Every, and, uh, everybody that knows vintage stuff is is heard about Brimfield. There's a lot of lore behind it. Yeah, yeah. you know. And uh she brought me. I didn't know anything about it, but she had been going for years. You know, she has friends in the vintage world because there's a lot of like picking in, you know, the Midwest. Oh, yeah. So she met people when they came through. And uh, I met this guy, Jay Bearden, out there who was really interesting. And I, you know, I told him, oh, I'm in school. I'm interested in starting a clothing line. And he goes, oh, I, you know, I have this buddy I can introduce you to. Maybe you'd be interested in like, you know, interning for him or something. I was like, sure. You know, what's what's his brand name? He's like, oh, it's called Aleeks. His name's like Matthew Williams. And I was like, yeah, OK, like, sure, whatever. I'll meet the guy. And uh, I forgot to take this guy Jay's number. And uh, we just kind of lost touch. So I'm at school at NYU and I'm walking out of uh, of my dorm on, on 3rd Avenue and I look out and I see him and I'm like, oh my God, you know, Jay, it's great to see you. We really should get together. And he's like, yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll see each other, you know, next week. And I forgot to get his number again. And so I Are ran into him. I ran into him a third time and I was like, okay, at this point, like, I really have to I really have to talk to him. I mean, dude, at the time I was like 18. I didn't, I, I was worried about the term paper I was handing it. I wasn't really That's thinking fair. about it. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember uh, we, we like met up and he was, he, we, we started talking because we both like collected archive Raph Simmons pieces and I had this pair of pants he wanted. So I just gave them to him. And I guess like as a, as a thank you, he introduced me to Matthew and uh, I went that summer to live out in Ferrara in Italy for couple months right when Matt was launching the first menswear collection for Aleeks. Yeah. And uh, so I was there in 2017. And like during that time, just through the conversations I had with Matthew and just seeing the environment and, you know, being around the Slam Jam crew, um, I really kind of refined what it was that I wanted to do with clothing. And one of the most valuable pieces of advice he gave me was essentially the world doesn't need more stuff. So if you're going to make something, you know, you need a, a good reason to want to do it. Mm. And so at this point, I mean, in, in a culmination of my experience, I felt like I knew how to make things. I knew what kinds of things I like to make. And at that point, it kind of clicked for me what kind of story I was telling based on my background, which was, I guess, uh, like a new Americana story, you know, coming from the Midwest, telling it at a time post, I guess, the Ralph Lauren image, but drawing on, you know, that American, you know, um, pop cultural consciousness and subverting it into something that I guess represents those themes of Americana in, in ways that are not as either uh, exclusionary or inaccessible. Yeah. Especially cause it, you know, a line that kind of runs through the experience that you had, uh, you know, whether it was Kith or, or Helmet Lang or Alix or whatever, like those are brands that I think very like, if you know, you know, people love, Mm -hmm. And they might, you know, obsess over one little detail, but also the majority of the clothes that those brands make, anyone from anywhere can get and understand. Yeah. And I don't mean in terms of the price. I just mean in terms of like, oh, a really well-made denim jacket, like totally a great pair, you know, like, because I feel like sometimes people will get into, you get so obsessed with clothing as art that you forget that one of the most beautiful things about art is that you know, anyone can enjoy it, you yeah, know, absolutely. and then it turns into some like nouveau thing that you're like, sure, I guess. Yeah. Those shoes that have wax dripping off of them. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really funny. Cause like, as you say that, like the first thing I wanted to do was 
I mean, besides tailoring, which I couldn't afford to do at the time because, you know, I'm independently funded, but was the denim jacket. I was like, this is the coolest, most unique piece of clothing because you can wear it every day, which Mm -hmm. in my mind is like, oh, that's really putting a design to the test if it's something that has to live through someone's life every day. Um, And like, for me, that's where the artistry of clothing comes in. I think that's why I like those designers. It's because it's something that is functional and then is made yours individually when you're wearing something in my mind that's um, too designed for design's sake you're you're letting the piece kind of wear you whereas the other way around is you know something that's integrated into your lifestyle yeah no i mean you're exactly right and and that stuff shows more <laughs> more than anything when you see someone wearing something and you're just like oh man that person called his friend before he left the house asking totally. if he could pull it off and his friend lied to him. <laughs> like, you know, to each their own. I've seen like some some crazy things in person that I'm like, oh, that's actually really cool. But just the way. Sure. But can you wear it every day? I mean, because that's that's half my wardrobe is things that are really cool, but I can't wear them every day. You're just like, that'll fit in that one look for that one time. Yeah. And it'll be a good picture on the Internet. That's it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, like the idea of, you know, wearing things just to post on the internet is is astonishing to me i mean i I please go on i I understand it like you know i get why people do it and i become um i guess softer in my opinions towards it over time but for me the things that are more interesting are the things that you don't really want to post because they're so inane you know like there's definitely something there i think with the younger generation being somewhat averse to social media now mm -hmm. like i was at the park with my daughter Mm-hmm. And I saw these kids that were there and they were talking to me and, you know, we were, we were kind of, you know, chatting and they were talking about getting ready to go to college. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, th- oh, that I'm sure that'll be fun. Or it's just be, like small talk. Yeah, and they didn't have any phones on them. And then I overheard one of them say like, oh, this person just, you know, joined Instagram again. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like Instagram, you know, whatever. And they were like, yeah, social media is so lame. Yeah. And I and I'm like, whoa. I think the kids are going to be all right. Like I was like, they're like, yeah, it's just stuff that our parents use to like argue with people. And I'm like, that's really true. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I can't speak for everyone, of course, but I'm, I'm 23. I guess I'm Gen Z firmly. Uh, Instagram's pretty lame. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Like I got to hear more about this. Cause I think you're right. But mm-hmm. I, you know, but like there's, for some people, it's like their entire identity. And I think it, yeah. it says a lot about the confidence and what you believe in yourself to feel that you don't need to be attached to this metaverse, for lack of a better term. Well, you know, there's it's a catch-22 because, you know, as an individual, I find Instagram more draining than I find it pleasurable. I mean, sometimes the algorithm really does present something to you that you would have never discovered by yourself. And, you know, because of that, I'm really interested in things. Uh, and, you know, to go full Gen Z, like I find TikTok much more interesting for that reason, because the algorithm is so specified. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as a brand owner, I do think there is something to being on Instagram that forces me to have to do it. Right. Like, so this is a series. I've tried to quit Instagram so many times. And my little brother, yeah. he's 26, 27. He isn't on it. He's like, fuck Instagram. I'm not wasting my life with that. And for me, I'm in this awkward position where. I can literally tie back to friendships I've made, yeah. guests that have been on the pod, just for me, like DMing them yeah, or totally. for me reaching out to them. And also it's worked in, 
you know, the wrong way into which I'll, you know, I'm supposed to get X or Y person on the pod. And they're like, oh, you're not verified. Like, no. Really? You know, well, I mean, to be honest, I like dig deeper and I'm like trying to be like, wait, like, why don't you want to be on the pod? Like the numbers yeah. are like this and this and we got all these people. And their PR person was like, you know, like if you were verified, like, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you yeah. kidding me? So yeah, yeah. like, I, and so I'm stuck. I fucking hate it. I, you know, I'm, and I don't want to turn this into a pod about me venting. So I'm no, just please. Very I clear. mean, <laughs> to me that, that just seems really silly because there's so many ways to game the system that why would a blue check mean anything? You know, Wait, I agree. Yeah. I, I find that so odd. And I think, um, at least in my experience, I'm very disillusioned with what I see on Instagram. I mean, I see uh, work from people with, you know, thousands and thousands of followers that just feels low effort or uninspired. And it feels like content. Whereas I see, you know, people on there who I, I genuinely find interesting and inspiring that no one's really looking at, or at least my person. That's why I talked about earlier. I don't know who's, you know, I'm in my kitchen making things. I don't know who's looking at me because I'm not checking my analytics and numbers all the time. I would find that's that- Great. I, I feel like that's as, especially as a, like a creative director and designer, like that's the best possible thing. Generally people are working, oh, I'm, I'm literally designing this stuff in hopes that it's going to get more likes and maybe people will yeah. buy it. If you're making art, like that's, you're in a su- such a better position. Well, you know, it's not necessarily always artistry. I understand there's a commercial aspect to the, you know, the profession I've chosen, but it's, I think that if I don't, my, my, the people who, who purchase my clothing aren't dumb. I think if I spent more time on content, less time on design and sourcing and producing and making better product, I'd lose all my customers because they'd see that my attention doesn't really uh, lie in the thing that I'm trying to sell them. Like if I, be- if I don't mm. believe in the product I'm making, it would be so disingenuous to, you know, to sell them something. However, I do think the images that I try to put out online um, are representative of the ethos of the brand. And I, I do my best to make sure that that's communicated visually. It's not like I'm scoffing at the whole idea of it. I, it's a game. You got to play it. You just got to do it in a way that feels you know comfortable and I think true to yourself, as cliche mm. as it is. No, I think that's, that's really well said. So you're in school and you're mm. making clothes and bump it, you know, doing internships with the leaks. Mm. And then what? Okay. So, when, when do you say, okay, I'm doing the brand. I'm doing this full time. So I, I think it's right when I got back from Elite's, I started working um, on like a full collection, started putting something together. I found a great manufacturer in the city. I knew that. Was that always the plan or what, did someone tell you to make the full collection? Well, after, after speaking with Matthew, I thought it was the best way for me to express the intent behind why I was making things. Whereas one-off pieces would have been great. I think, especially in retrospect, from a commercial perspective, because it's much easier to, you know, afford production minimums. It's much easier to market one item versus, you know, 10 items at once or, you know, 10 looks Mm -hmm. at once. But um, no, I knew I wanted to present uh, an aesthetic world that someone could enter into. You know, at the time, like I mentioned, I couldn't afford to produce suiting as part of a main line. So I had to start with sweatshirts and to, to really present the vision of what I wanted to show, I needed to kind of couch those between things that I felt like were more representative of where I wanted to go with the line. Um, So, you know, Matthew's then wife, Jen, introduced me to this awesome photographer, Libby Gray, who's from coincidentally just down the street from where I grew up. Um, And so, you know, we shot the first collection together on on my friend Trent, also from Detroit, but we shot it um, outside of the city in Connecticut. And uh, I put my first lookbook out there and 
nothing happened. It was, you know, I was just putting it up. Um, looking back, like, I definitely think there was, um, there was an essence of what I was trying to say, but the execution just wasn't there. And neither was the understanding of how to achieve that execution. It just, I needed more time. Are you hard on yourself? Yeah, I think as much as maybe most people are, uh, I think it's not necessarily that I'm like, oh, like you shouldn't have done that. You're stupid for doing it. It's like, what learnings can I take from this so that I don't make the same mistake again? I don't think you can ever really- Yeah, it sounds like there's not a lot of ego in in the decisions that you're making, which is is very also very rare as most things that have people's name on it tend to have a lot of ego behind it. Oh, I mean, I just, I named it after myself because I couldn't think of anything else to name it. I mean, it just felt right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, Perfect. I, but I do kind of regret that now because I'm so not, um, I, I don't desire to be a public figure. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like cringy to me to be like, look at this thing I'm making. Like, I'm the face of it. Like, this is, you know, all connects back to me. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, maybe I would have named it something else, but at this point it's out there. Um, okay. So, yeah, you know, I, I put up the first collection. Uh Nothing really happened, so I started working on the next collection. I mean, I, I had sold enough of the pieces, um, and I, I did a pop-up outside of Detroit at a store called Linda Dresner, um, followed by one at Today Clothing in Ann Arbor. Uh, oh, yeah. Very familiar yeah. with Today. Eric's been like a, a huge supporter and a friend. Uh, I mean, it's one of the only places that had all the brands that I was interested in when I was younger, so my friend Morgan and I would go up all the time and just you know see what was out there and try things on and chop it up with Eric. Um, then I started working on my second collection, and uh, I, that's when I started focusing more on denim. That's when I started focusing more on kind of the Americana staples, and then during that second collection is when I started reworking suiting, and that's when um, you know I shot the collection myself. I had built enough um, I guess, sales and, and a customer base from the first collection that I was able to do, um, I guess, more high-end and interesting pieces. Like I did these uh, crosses between bomber jackets and blazers to try and make suiting more contemporary and accessible, especially to like a younger audience. And, you know, just slowly over time through the next season and the next season, I was just building more of an audience, like, you know, like a, a niche crowd. And then um, when it came to, the spring summer 20 collection i was i think it was just starting my junior year of college um i did a like my first on calendar fashion week presentation at short stories on uh on i think it's on bowery um my mm-hmm. friend my friend's bar and we like we had these live models in the back and we set it up like a living room at the time uh the two models were dating so we had them like changing each other's clothes and we filmed it like closed circuit television and like sped up through it so when they changed clothes those were like the changing of the looks and that was going on while there was like a party in the front um and it was great cuz you know I got to see everyone who I'd worked with up to that point and like everyone who was supporting the brand and seeing everything, you know, physically in person. Um, and then for fall winter of the next year of the next collection, uh, fall winter 20, I, uh, I worked with agentry PR and their New York men's day designer program. And we mm-hmm. did like a physical presentation at, um, at a, at a space near Hudson yards. And I showed my fall 20 collection with live models and it was like a real you know, presentation. It was awesome. That was the first collection that got like any major press or write-ups or interest from anyone, as well as like, you know, any sort of wholesale partner interest. And then the pandemic happened. Um, well, wasn't Paul Banks in, in that collection? 
He was in fall 21. So Oh, he's in fall 21. Working okay. yeah, working with Paul was awesome. I mean, I've I've loved How'd him. you get connected with Paul? So Okay, I, I I need. There's one piece of missing information in the middle of this. Please, yeah. After after fall twenty, uh, I like I, I had just graduated college and I moved back home with my parents because it was right when everything was shutting down. Uh, I left yeah. New York really quickly. No one knew what was kind of happening, and uh, working on a new collection is really just how I kind of stayed sane. It was like the only thing I was working on at the time. Um, and my my coworker Adam. Uh, is always really interested in like directors and film. Like, you know, he, he was originally intending to study film and then I kind of sidetracked him into fashion with me. He found this up. And he works with you on the brand. Yeah. So he, um, we call him our R and D like, like, you know, research and development. And then also like A&R, I mean, whatever, whatever he wants to put on his resume. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, he just finds cool talent that we want to work with. And, uh, he found this director, Haley, uh, Elizabeth Anderson, who's, this incredible director. And uh, I was working with um, a photographer who I collaborate with often, Rogue Cohen. And it just kind of culminated in, hey, we're not putting out anything physically, but we want to make a video to show during Fashion Week because everything's online. So we made this film called Obscured and we did like a whole collection shoot and put it out on the CFDA's Runway 360 platform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sitting in my backyard with my mom, just hanging out one afternoon. I clicked go live on the collection and it kind of blew up. It was, it was awesome. Like people were watching the film. Um, I was, you know, calling, you know, I was talking, doing different interviews upstairs. Um, and I, I came back downstairs. And I was like, Hey mom, I, you know, I think it went pretty well, you know, <laughs> things, <laughs> things launched. Uh, I have, I have back to back interviews. I just got off the phone with X and Y reporter. It was great. And uh, then I started What'd working She's awesome. Her friend brought over a pint of ice cream to celebrate. You know, it was like, <laughs> you got, you got to think about it. Like, you know, this is, uh, this is right at the beginning of the pandemic. Who knows anything? You know, I, I'm getting sure some recognition online, but I'm isolated in my house with just my family. You oh know? yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is everyone was, I think yeah. there's, there's, and, and I don't think that the pandemic was good in any way, but there were a lot of good things that happened to people through the trauma of the pandemic. And I think, you know, it, people were so excited to see new stuff mm -hmm. that I think maybe historically in the past, like, I don't know, I think people got a little bit less jaded yeah. in the pandemic because they were like, what the, like, I, no, like, I'm not going to be so cynical. I'm not going to be like, even myself, like, I was yeah. like, why am I such a jerk? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and I think, you know, when your stuff came out, mm -hmm. like, I mean, cause there were a few other designers too yeah. that popped, but it was like, it, it came out very fully formed. Yeah. I think there's, this is something, and I don't know if someone else was giving you this advice or what, but when a lot of, especially like younger designers start, it's almost like I have to make something that's so loud or crazy yeah. to like make a name for myself that sometimes people forget the importance of like congruence and telling a story that, you know, fits together. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's about that story. Like that's why, uh, when we were working on that collection, when we were working on Obscured, um, it, it, it was like. It, 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 we always, it, it, you know, when I'm talking with my teammates, like we always talk about that time because it was like the purest distillation of the vision that we all shared in that moment and making mm -hmm. a video and releasing it online, I, I think to a degree was, you know, a blessing in disguise at that time, because I think people were, the, you know, being online lowers the barrier to entry so much like me being in high school and being able to 
communicate with all these people in different places in the world who are interested in the same niche as I was. I think the same thing happened with showing a Fashion Week collection online. I couldn't have have paid the PR companies. I couldn't have um, mm. put on the fashion show to compete on a major level on a major level to get the editors to come to my show. When you're clicking through things online, you watch a video that's impactful. And you say, oh, this might be something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there was something really nice to a degree about that, that everyone was at home, because I think it, it gave me the ability to compete at a higher level, you know, punch above my weight a little bit. And thankfully to that time, I had see, I had produced so much work that didn't receive that much recognition that by the time I came out, it maybe felt more fully formed than it would have if that was my first mm-hmm. go around. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah, that's good perspective. Yeah, I think um, I think there's something nice about not blowing up right away because you know there's no ego in it. I don't I didn't feel tied to the things I'd done before. I took my learnings from the customers that wore my clothing, so I learned you know what the people who bought my things actually liked about it and what I liked about it, and I could f- further refine what I wanted to say because I always go back to that advice. You know, the world doesn't need more stuff, so why are you making it? And I think maybe what you were responding to, I, I don't know, is there was a point of view, a perspective more than any one loud piece that kind of took over the feed. Um, yeah. And it didn't feel, you know, I mean, I think a lot of brands you'll see, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a trend happening here. Mm-hmm. Or a brand will start and it looks like all the stuff they're making. You're like, oh, you were really into Rick Owens. Sure. Like that. Okay. that That's your brand. All right. I, sure. Great. But like, I, I think at least for when I first saw it, I was trying to be like, okay, where are the themes here? What, wh- where, you know, I like, uh, you know, and I apologize for this. Yeah. Like I wanted to find a way to like put you in a box yeah. so I could like make it easier to understand. And I was like, I don't, I don't know where all this is coming from. It's cool. But I was like, I don't know where this is coming from. (laughs) You know, I I think it would have been easier if there was a trend we were connected to totally. I mean, Western now is becoming a trend. So, you know, thankfully that's the Western shirt has been like my, you know, best selling item by far. But, you know, at the time for me, all I had in my head was like, Oh, it's kind of Napoleon Dynamite, kind of Easy Riders, <laughs> Sam Shepard, Steve McQueen. You know, it's like, those are the types of things I was like, I, I don't, I wasn't really looking at other brands at the time because I wasn't really buying anything from other brands. I was just watching movies and reading books. Mm, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that's such a luxury now because I do understand the, um, I guess, the the feeling, the nagging feeling of like, oh, I should be online. I should be checking up on everyone. I should be. I should be looking at what everyone else is doing. And I find myself so much more happy and creatively fulfilled when I'm not doing that. When I'm absorbing things that I genuinely think are cool. Like I just bought um, like a Joseph Sabo, the photographer who did the Dinosaur Jr. like Smoking Girl uh, album cover. I just bought his book. You have good references, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I've been like, this is the coolest thing. Like, you know, and uh, I, I think I've really been absorbing that. And it, it's causing me to design different things than I would have if I was looking at the latest season of Runways. Interesting. I mean, full disclosure, I I don't know if you knew this. I also full-time design for Urban Outfitters. I do all the men's bottoms. Really? Yeah. 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 I didn't know that. I see every every runway that comes out. It's just when I'm working on, on things for my line, I just have to zone it out. Otherwise, I'm only seeing the references, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's cool. I mean, by the way, that sounds like the best of both worlds because it sounds like if you're getting a steady check, you're not 
you know, and I, cause I think there's something hmm. there too. When say you're a designer for a huge house, you know, they get to make artistic stuff, yeah. right? But a lot of times their success, like any other creative director is really based on their sell-throughs. Totally. And so in a way it kind of becomes this like self-perpetuating, you know, cycle. It's like, well, I need to make the things that are going to sell the most because I need to keep my job and keep earning this. And, you know, then you get to kind of, you get to make your, uh, you know, you get to make your art you know, and you know, this, this kind of ties back funny enough to, to Paul Banks. Um, when I was, Paul was like a huge mentor to me, uh, when I was in a band for a long time and he actually, he got me my job in the music industry. And, um, so what happened was I was, I was down in new Orleans with my girlfriend for a month. We were just doing like, we didn't have anywhere to be, we were working remotely. So we said, you know, we'll go down there and hang out. And while I was down there, I was listening to a ton of Interpol while designing the Fall Winter 21 collection. So I said, oh, I've got to be able to find this guy's contact somewhere. So I emailed his manager. I just found his manager online. I was like, hey, like, this is my past work. Like, do you think Paul would want to feature in our you know, new campaign? And after like a couple of weeks of talking back and forth, she was like, yeah, Paul's in. He, he saw that video that you put out at Fashion Week and thought it was really cool. And um, wow. Yeah, it was as simple as that. And like. Uh, what really got tough though, was around the time we were getting ready to do everything, there was a COVID spike. So I was back in Detroit at the time, but my production facilities in New York. So I'm trying to do everything on FaceTime for the new collection. And it's pretty disastrous. I mean, it was really difficult to get anything done. Um, so it's, it's the weekend of the shoot. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to be shooting the next day. And the photographer calls me and he goes, Hey, my mom is really sick in the hospital back home. Oh, geez. Yeah. I, I can't do the shoot anymore. I have to go home. And then we were going to actually, at the time we were going to feature Paul in a campaign with two other artists who are up and coming from different music scenes in New York and do like a whole story about that. And one of the other artists had a family member that was sick also and had to pull out. So the day before the shoot, we had to, uh, we had to switch photographers. Luckily, my frequent collaborator, Rogue Cohen, was available and he knows my aesthetic and it was easy to catch him up to speed. But um, yeah, it was like a, a whole tumble right before. But uh, Paul was gracious as ever. He was really awesome. You know, he went to NYU, as you probably know, started talking yep. about that. Um, we ended up talking a lot about Dante's Inferno. It's just a huge area Sounds of study for me. Paul. Yeah, he'd never read yeah. it. So like, you know, after I sent him a copy, I, I don't know if he's ever read it now, but, you know, it was like... That's kind of all we talked about. And then we talked about like Blonde Redhead was on our playlist in the studio. So we just started riffing on that. They toured with Blonde Redhead for ages. Yeah, yeah. he was just like, he was just the man. And uh, it was funny. There was a piano in the in the area we were doing the fitting. He's like, you mind if I just riff a little bit? Everyone's like, yeah, dude. Like, what? Okay, please go ahead. You know, it was great. Yeah, that's, I will say it's, it's sometimes it's a blessing and a curse when you get to meet someone that, in your head, you might've manifested as some, somebody else, yeah. right? Like, you know, I, when I was working at beggars, like you got to, I got to meet all these musicians mm. that I, in my head, they were this person, yeah. right? Because I listened to them when I was, you know, doing this or, you know, so I had already, you know, before I even met them, I knew who they were in my head. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'd meet them and they are not who they are in your head and you're like oh shit yeah and other times you meet him and they're even better and like paul was someone that was you know i mean he was coming to our shows 
And this is, you know, at the time he was with Helena Christensen. Mm -hmm. And so like Helena Christensen's like at our shows and I'm like, dude, I fucking made it, man. This is so sick. And he's like, Hey, he's like, maybe you guys can do some shows with us. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that all the time, like to a degree, the way I look at the label is like an indie, an indie brand, you know, instead of like, yeah. it, it's kind of the way I see it. It's like, I, I would imagine a lot of the reason people want to be musicians is because they're trying to express something. It's the medium that comes most naturally to them. And then they're trying to live a life where they're around other people who empathize with the way that they're trying to communicate. I mean, it's, it's at its base level, it's communication. I'm trying to share an idea with the world. Huh? Too bad I cannot play music at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I probably would have done that. It seems not necessarily easier, but it seems kind of more immediate. You know, you can just sit in your in your in your room and record on, you know, GarageBand like we're, we're kind of doing now. But yeah, that's yeah, true. You know, instead, I found clothing to be the most immediate thing to me. But it's about wanting to pursue a creative lifestyle and and find the means to support yourself doing it, but also in order to communicate the ideas that you have. For me, language fails me and clothing seems to pick up the slack. Yeah, I'm really curious, though. Like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked to someone who um, is so calm about the impacts of everything they're making in the sense that, I mean, you seem to have such a bird's eye view of what you're doing and there's very little ego in any of the things I'm hearing. And I'm just curious, like where that's from. I mean, you know, every day I I wake up and I want to make something better than the day before. And sometimes I wake up and I trip on it. I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I should have done this differently, but you can't change the past. You can learn from it. And I think, um, Where'd you learn that? Like, who told you that? I think I've just, I've, you know, I, I have two older brothers, so I was the youngest in the family. So I got to, you know, learn from their mistakes and not have to make them myself. And I think uh, it's just something I've adopted over time is, you know, I've been able to learn from really amazing people. And I think somewhere along the lines, I must have gotten the advice that, you know, uh, learn as much as you can soak everything up like a sponge, you know. I don't, I don't mm. think I know better than anyone else. And it's taken me a long time to actually learn that lesson. I mean, in my teenage years, I think like most people, I was extremely arrogant. And, you know, the fact that I look back on a lot of, on a lot of like, you know, things I've done or, or you know, uh, thoughts I've had and think, oh, God, I wish I didn't do that. Or, you know, I wish I'd done it differently, <laughs> I think is, is really good. You know, I've learned a lot from those experiences. And, and thankfully, now they make me cringe. <laughs> Oh, dude. Yeah. You and I both. Yeah. There's, if I had a time machine, the first thing I'd do is go beat the shit out of myself. Yeah, and then, but like, then I'd, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't be who you are right now with, without those experiences. And like, I don't know, I think there's just so much noise in culture right now. And there's so much noise in the way that we absorb media that um, if I'm going to put something out there, I really want to think about it and contemplate on it and, and make sure there's a reason to be putting it out there. So it's not that I'm um, immune from ego. And I definitely think you know, ego pervades in the way that I think about things before I present them. But you have to be able to remove yourself a little bit to make sure that you actually like the things you're putting out there. You like the the person you're being on your on your daily life. You like the way that you handle interactions. You know, I think a lot about those things because at the end of the day, like I'm asking people to pay attention to me. So what the hell am I going to say? Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think it's it's also just reminding yourself that you have every right to be there. Yeah, you know, too. No, absolutely. But I mean, if you're asking yeah. people for your attention, 
you better give them something that's worth paying attention to. <laughs> you know, anyone could start a clothing line, but I, I really took those words from Matthew to heart, which is like, if you're going to put something out there, you need a reason to add more things into the world. I mean, there's so much overconsumption that if you, if you want to make stuff, have a point of view, have a reason to make it. Are you guys still in touch? Uh, occasionally. I mean, like um, happy Christmas or, you know, things of the sort, <laughs> but it was, it was really kind. You know, when I, when I was launching my first collection, he, he sat with me on FaceTime and talked me through it and told me which ideas he found interesting and which ideas he didn't. But since he's gone to Givenchy, I mean, I have not really spoken with him at all. I imagine he's extraordinarily busy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, how receptive are you to feedback? I mean, I, I like to hear it. I don't always, you know, I don't always agree with everything, but I think um, it, it's important to hear feedback, but I think it's also important to process feedback with a grain of salt. I mean, mm. you got to look at it from your own perspective. Do you like the thing you made? I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll go back through, I'm really bad at posting on Instagram like we've established. So I have like five or 600 photos that are just like in my archive from the whole time that I've been working that I could be putting out there. But for whatever reason at the moment, I decided I, I'm just not confident in this. And I look back and sometimes I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like what, what photographer is this from? What reference is this? And I'm like, oh, I made this. <laughs> oh, that's sick. Yeah. That's a good feeling. But you know, that, that feeling is so much more fulfilling to me than looking at something I did put out there and something that I did show off full chestedly and then have to walk back from and say, oh, I don't know about that one. I regret it. So where are you now then? Because it feels like now, like you're on this crazy upward trajectory. I mean, you got all these dope dudes that are wearing your stuff. What are you, how, how is, how is this evolving? You got Silas hitting you up for polls or what? Yeah. I mean, the polls have been really funny because I'm, I'm currently down in Philadelphia. I go back between here and New York and uh, my coworker, my, uh, my A&R Adam is the one who's mm-hmm. handling all the polls for me up there. So uh, he's, he'll text me every like couple of days be like, dude, you'll never believe the place I was just in. <laughs> it's like back in his apartment in, in, in Bushwick. And he's like, dude, you'll never believe what that like studio looked like, or that blah, blah, blah looked like. Like um, the other day, or I guess a little, a couple months ago, we got a poll at like SNL and had to drop things off at 30 rock. And Adam's like, dude, where the fuck's the door? <laughs> and we're like texting back and forth. <laughs> we were in there uh, on, on one of the new smaller actors. Uh, we were on his, he was wearing our blazer and like the opening crawl. Pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, th- that's sick, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's things like that where you're like, oh, this is who's paying attention to my work or when Paul's interested in doing something. Yeah. And I think this is where it gets super tough and complicated mm-hmm. because when that happens, a lot of time, right? One, the payment is like the feature. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, okay, you know, there, there are companies, you know, that I, I'm on their press list or whatever. And any person, no matter how big or small they're viewed as, as soon as that happens, email goes out, post goes out saying, hey, look, you know, this person wore this, this, and this mm-hmm. of ours at the Oscars and the Grammys or on this show or on this thing. Because and this is a thing now where the concept of celebrity sells sometimes far more than, well, geez, most times far more than, than what the brand can do on its own. And so it becomes this kind of tough thing where it's like, almost like with Instagram, right? Like you were talking about, you kind of have to just play this game to where, I mean, the Ethan Hawke thing, like do look dope as hell, you know? Like, yeah, Ethan, uh, for me, when I first started the line, I made a list of people who I wanted to wear the brand. And I mean, it's, 
a bizarre list. I don't think it makes sense to anyone but me. But like right at the top, it's Ethan Hawke and then it's Jennifer Connelly. Like those are my top two. And uh, okay, I, 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 you know, I was just like sitting at my desk and uh, uh, Michael Fisher, Ethan Hawke stylist, like it said, like tagged you in a post. So I, I went and looked at it. And I was like, oh, Ethan Hawke's wearing my shirt at South by Southwest. Like checked off the list. <laughs> It was cool. Like my that's, my that's girlfriend awesome. was freaking out. Like, um, you know, obviously Ethan Hawke's entire career is is amazing, but um, you know, like Gattaca, the Before Sunrise trilogy, um, even Hamlet. I mean, the, the the hat with the baggy suit he wears in Hamlet are like constantly on my mood boards. So it, the fact that you led with Gattaca is all <laughs> is all I need to hear, man. Yeah, man, because that that's that's the movie. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And you know, one thing about Paul that. I wish I knew at the time. I think he has a master and commander tattoo. Banks? Yeah, like from 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 the movie. Oh, I don't know what what all ink he has. I mean, I've I've known him for so long. Yeah. I feel like I've known like I feel like I know like three or four different versions of him. Yeah. No, it's so it's, fun. uh that wouldn't surprise me, any sort of bizarro ink. Yeah, but I wanted to be like, dude, master and commander. <laughs> like when It's a very interesting reference. Yeah, when when the little boy loses his arm in that movie, I was like that really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, but um, Ethan Hawke, that was great. You know, anytime uh, we post a photo and like someone's wearing it, if there's someone I respect, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful and I try to reach out to them. And like in Ethan's case specifically, he really loves my Western shirt. Uh, he wore it like the next day in an interview with the Criterion Collection. And I was like, just keep them, man. Like you're wearing them better than I would. Like just they're yours. Like thanks for putting us on. You know, that's something I've experienced. Like, I've definitely lost samples going about like that. But um, that's just, it's not who I am. I'm sure one day maybe I'll change my tune if the business grows to the point where I, you know, I need to pay stylists and celebrities. But um, at this point, like, it's just not worth it to me. I mean. Well, and hopefully you never should or do yeah. pay us. I mean, because that's the thing is like real good stylists. Yeah. Like, especially like they want to work with younger designers and they also know that like, Oh, you're you're funding this on your own. Like, yeah, the, this one thing that is the sample, yeah. you know? Like <laughs> No, it, it's totally that and like, you know, when you do meet people who have your best interest at heart and especially people in the industry who want to work with you and, you know, want to see the growth of the project you're working on or, you know, support whatever it is, like even coming on this podcast, it's like that to me means so much more than a feature in a large magazine. I mean, even when it comes to getting like nice press write-ups, those are great laurels. But at the end of the day, they're doing nothing to engage with the community I'm building. I mean, it's great if more people hear about you and they want to join you. But I think I've noticed that, especially through Instagram, like it's the smaller influencers who are really engaged with their followings that move the needle in any way in terms of sales, reach, followership, whatever. You know, the bigger they are, it's almost like the more removed they are. And I think that's because my audience does skew younger. And I think a lot of us are just disillusioned with the idea of, of celebrity and being advertised that. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really, I mean, it, it also gives me a lot of sort of hope and optimism more for the future, because I think if we can push past yeah. all of that, like murky bullshit, you know, I mean, we're just going to be in such a better place. Well, it's like, uh, there's this one, uh, content creator named uh, Tyler Mazahiri may have been on your feed. He's like the boot cut King. I mean, he's like, puts up a photo of like the coolest flared pants ever. And I'm like, man, like I make flared pants. This guy would look great in them. And so we got connected through, you know, a mutual friend of ours. And uh, every time he posts a photo, a photo, I sell pants. 
It's amazing. Really? Every time we post a photo. Because Tyler Mazahiri? Yeah, because I think people that are following these smaller creators follow them because I'm interested in bootcut pants. This guy wears bootcut pants. I mean, there's a specific reason. And then they feel more connected and engaged with the people because it's a more niche micro community, which I do think is one of the benefits of social media. Like I was in high school, it's easier to find those groups and find your people and find your tribe. I don't think, Mm. I don't, I think there's a lot of discourse about how the internet and decentralization has kind of killed community groups in a certain way. But I think people are just gathering in different spaces. I mean, I think that the the internet has created a place where more niche groups can exist. So the more specific your interest is, it's almost the better because you'll find those people. Mm. So and so, what's what's the next step for you now? I mean, the collection's going good. You got dope people wearing your stuff. Oh, I mean, there's so much. I mean, it's a lot of what I think about most of the day. Is it's the absurdity of of modern commerce. Um, I mean, it, it's funny. I was talking to my friend Shira the other day, and she's like. Why is the color brown so popular right now? I mean, you know, she's like, everything's brown. And I'm like, well, I think a lot of... Is she referring to clothes or just... Everything in design. I mean, you're talking homewares, textiles, linens, clothes. I mean, there just seems... I don't know if you've noticed, but like on a lot of mood boards, the color is brown. Brown is very... I once actually was told by a a showroom representative that something was very me because it was brown. Apparently, I wear a lot of brown. It was it was bizarre. It was a bizarre statement. But I, I well, I feel like hmm. earth tones have always been a thing. Yeah. But sorry, I just cut you off. That's what right. about to say? Well, no, I mean, I, I, I kind of may have over intellectualized it, but I think that the color brown right now is especially interesting, along with a trend we're seeing come in of like more natural handed textiles, like linens and hemp's and things that feel a little more um, imperfect. Like I think Bodhi's design ethos really aligns with the way consumers are shopping right now, whereas in the early 2000s, you know, why have they had such a meteoric rise? Not, I'm not speaking about the longevity or the quality of the work. I'm just saying, why has it aligned more with the consumer right now? And I think um, it's a reaction to this type of luxury that I've seen presented in the late 90s and early 2000s, which is this very like aseptic, synthetic, imported. You know, I, I always think of weirdly the Matrix is like a perfect presentation of what was cool and kind of the apex of luxury. And it's like, these long leather coats, everything's shiny and sleek and black. Um, and I think there's there's a real reaction to that on a subconscious level because of a consumer shift towards being more conscious about where their things are coming from. I think because things are so mm-hmm. accessible on the internet, nothing's really luxury, it's just expensive because you can see all these different outlets and then you see it on the Instagram Explore page. You know, you can buy the same thing from any different shop. So I think people are interested now in being able to tell the story of this is unique and this is luxury and this is rare because it's handmade or, you know, this person crocheted it in their apartment or this is hand dyed, you know, this is natural. And I think it aligns with the idea of like Gorp core being a new luxury. Cause I think um, especially exacerbated by the pandemic and because everyone's been inside and a lot of people in these major urban centers are the tastemakers being outdoors and having access to open land away from other people is really luxury right now. I mean, that is true luxury. <laughs> yes. And I think that's, you know, coincided with the trend of this outdoor tactical apparel because it's like, look at me, I need this stuff because I have all this access to open land and space and I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, pushed into these small environments. It's like, um, I think a reimagining of luxury as having access to uncrowded areas, natural fibers, natural textiles, more neutral colored tones that don't feel so synthetic. And I think 
modern luxury is knowing where your products come from, knowing how it was produced, knowing something about the story that you're able to tell and uh, not about it's this label or this brand. Not for everyone, but just a trend. No, I I totally agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm also curious, like, what do you feel about, because it feels like if you're a designer now, mm-hmm. you can't just make clothes. Yeah. Like even you yourself, you, you know, you, you have to build a world and it used to be, you would build the world through imagery, but your, your, your product was always your clothes. Yeah. And it feels like now a lot of designers are like, well, wait a second, why not sell a lamp too? Totally. And why not sell a chair or a couch or, you know, all these additional things that would, that would fill that world, but d- they're doing it, you know, two, three years into their career. Well, it, it, it's funny. Like one of the, one of the other things that Matthew said to me, which was an amazing piece of advice that I hold with me, is like at the end of the day, like guys that are interested in clothes want to be able to talk about their clothes to their friends. Like they want to be able to be like, this is a military detail that comes from this, and it's like really rare, and you know, right? Yeah, yeah. That's half the fun of it is you know talking about the nerdy storytelling details behind the things that you're purchasing. You know, um, and and I think about that a lot, and I think that. For example, when, when you're building out your world, a lot of it can just be in the small details. I think it's more Instagram explore page friendly to post a lamp that's also in your brand vision because you get to touch a new audience that maybe is just getting interested in interior design because they found that side of the algorithm. <laughs> but um, I, I like the subtlety. I think it's more of a challenge. And I think um, when I was first designing the line, the possibilities were endless. I could do anything. I could react against anything. And I think a lot of my early designs for that reason don't hold up to the scrutiny of the story that I've been telling these past couple of years with actually presenting the line on a public scale. But I think once I figured out the parameters that I wanted to react against, the storytelling became very obvious to me. And I think um, if I were to expand into furniture and I were to expand into home goods, which is not off the table, I mean, those are things I'm definitely interested in. But um, I think... I need to feel more uh, that I've, I've done a more robust job with the clothing. The thing that I'm telling everyone is what I do before I'm ready to move on into those other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's like uh, if, if I was a musician and I was, um, I was making acoustic songs and or, uh, the, my, my favorite reference is like, you know, I made melancholy and the infinite sadness. Then I make a door and it, it's very abrupt. And I think a lot turned a lot of people off. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favorite wow. Pumpkins albums, but, you know. Great. You, you, man, you got some fantastic fucking analogies here. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I, but that's I figured what it you would have gone like. Machina, though. Dude, if you want to go down this discourse, I'm ready for it. But Machina's a classic, and I will not hear Machina's, it. Machina's, no, but I love Machina. Mm. I think Adore, yeah, Adore blew everyone's mind. Like, they were like, what the hell is this? And I feel yeah. like now a lot of people, it's almost like, when people, you know, would be like, oh, yeah, I like Weezer, but I only listen to Pinkerton. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay, this guy's got, this guy's got something to say. Yeah, but, um, the I, I remember when Machina came out, everybody went nuts because he was, Corgan was playing this SG that was like one of the only guitars that could hold the tuning so low because they, they played the uh, tuning in C in this like low, low, low C, which is why everything is just like overdrive. But also yeah. I think... I think what was it Machina? That was the return of Jimmy Chamberlain, right? Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> that was that was yeah, that was a uh, post rehab Jimmy Chamberlain who was jacked and just like oh my god, crushing it, dude. But <laughs> that's like I'm I'm standing by this. Billy Corgan is an unsung fashion icon. I mean that Machina. Uh, you're era not the with first the person to say this. 
Oh so, yeah, no, it's it's great. Chloe, his his partner, uh, has a faux fur line and does really cool things. And uh, I, I I met her, uh, I think through like a you know some sort of pop up or something. And through her, I, I gifted her and Billy uh, some some clothing items, which is a huge moment for me because I'm a huge Pumpkins fan. And they're really nice people. They like have a tea shop in Highland Park, Illinois, and my cousin used to work there years ago. Yeah, so he's really building a good empire then, because I feel like any musician, especially that had like an era, yeah, you know that that era. To be honest, is like pretty much gone now. All of their money and earnings and everything that they do is all based around like restaurants and bars and things that basically never go out of style. Like I have a a few buddies, like a buddy of mine was in spoon for a Mm -hmm. really long time and he was in the get up kids and he was in like, you know, and he made decent money, but like now, you know, all his money is like, yeah, I own a bar in Lawrence, Kansas and it crushes, you know, and you're like, well, good for you. It's like, you know, you're in your late forties. It's like, (laughs) I mean, dude, like for me, that's so much more interesting than someone who's, you know, popping off on Instagram and, you know, doing whatever is people who have kind of had lived experiences and had times to go through different evolutions. And I love I love hearing about those experiences, And I love talking to those people because it feels more dimensional than people who are only focused on the material reality of the Internet, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, who who else is on your list of, of people that you want to that you uh, hope are going to wear your stuff? I mean, it's funny, but like uh, Steve Malkmus is up there. When I have long hair, my dad says I look like him, which is funny. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of pavement. Um, there's this uh, there's this artist in New York, Dwendita, who we've been talking to, who's just like an uh, incredible producer. I think she's incredible. Um, there's like, I, th- I think, I think at the time I made the list, Paul Newman was still alive. And obviously Anthony Bourdain. I mean, those two, like, if only. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say Anthony Bourdain would have been our, my number one. I mean, he's like a guiding influence for everything I do, just his ethos. But because of him too, like David Chang would be incredible. Um, you know, Chang's a Chang's like not that difficult to get in touch with. And um, he's a huge indie rock dude. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. The big thing when Momofuku launched mm-hmm. was they would play like indie rock, like blast it as loud as they could. And we would do deals with David Chang for like food and reservations by giving him like tour posters and wow. stuff like that to throw up in Mamafuku. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, those <laughs> kinds of like bartering systems are things that I'm, those networks are things that I'm just finding my way into just because now I guess I'm to a degree established as a creative of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be the most interesting types of, of deals that you can do, you know? Oh yeah. Bar- bartering is a, uh... Is I hope it comes back. Well, you know, as as a young brand, I mean, that's how I survive. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, in any situation where I'm asking someone to do work for me, I should compensate them any way that I can. And thankfully, as a young brand, like a lot of people are into the clothes and want to take those or, you know, there's different ways to work things out. But I meet really interesting creatives that I wouldn't have thought on paper uh, I could afford, but are just interested in working with me and are willing to, you know, I guess, trade, which is fantastic. I feel like it bolsters such a community being able to actually share my products and my work. And I love giving them to people that I know like it and, and care about it rather than people who are just interested in it because they want something for free. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, that's uh, that's that's the tough part because the wolves also come out when it's just like, did somebody say free? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've I, I've been in some 
weird press situations like that. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, and you know, what do you do? You give it away for free and you regret it. Those are the things I regret. You know, it's like, uh, for me, when I make an item, it's not precious any longer. It's made to be lived in and to be worn. I mean, the, the whole point is my design stands up if it's something someone can assimilate and do, you know, assimilate into their lives and not feel like they're wearing something that's special. I mean, it's great if they recognize the label and they covet it because of that, but it should never feel too precious to actually wear in. And so, you know, when someone when someone wants to take the item and, and do whatever they want with it, like, that's cool with me. You know, I'm not holding on to these things so tightly. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, we're starting to wrap up here. So this is like sure. a series of random questions that I want to ask you. Um, if you were making a YouTube how-to video, what would the subject be? Oh, man. I guess if I was making a YouTube how-to video, it'd have to be something I'm really good at just to not look like an idiot. Probably be like how to make a tech pack. There you go. That's oh. something I feel like I'm pretty much an expert on. There I feel go. like a lot of kids want to know that. What is the last movie you saw? I just watched Dances with Wolves again. Oh. Movie rocks. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Um, last album you heard? Uh, I, I guess it's the new Blade album, Crest. I think that was the last thing I checked out. Um, the last YouTube video you watched? Oh, uh, <laughs> why? Uh, or understanding the canon of American potato chip flavors fascinating history dude i mean why do we have sour cream and onion barbecue salt and vinegar and i can't remember the last one but cool the, ranch. the history of why those th- no it's not it's not cool ranch it was something really boring hmm. and that i didn't think was like special but you know it's unique to the united states like the palate of of the united states is really fascinating wow um what is <laughs> the, and this is great what's the last thing you bought online I bought uh, a new pair of Nike Cortez. Very fly. All right. And then this is the last question. What is a movie, a book, or an album that when someone mentions, you feel they understand you? Uh, the Divine Comedy. <laughs> I feel like I, I studied like for over a year, you know, Dante Alighieri. So I feel like if anyone wants to talk to me about that to any capacity, I'm like, oh, you, you get it. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's so niche. But I mean, there's that scene of Don Draper on the beach reading The Inferno. Mm-hmm. I feel like if if someone reads, you know, if someone can reference these books, they know that image in their head, and then they get everything. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. Uh, I I haven't read it. Like I I think well, I was supposed well, you know, to read it. I might have even done like, the <laughs> cliff notes of it or something at one point in my life. But I, I mean, I, I love understanding the canon. I mean, why are these foundational cultural myths of quote-unquote, Western civilization. You know, I need to know the source material to be able to interpret anything off of that. It's the same thing with learning, you know, bespoke menswear tailoring before I started doing sweatshirts. It's like, you need to understand what you're reacting against to say anything of substance or, or to know where you fit in in the space or what you can do that's unique or special to you. You know, just learn the basics. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think, again, like the clarity you have in and how you communicate in your, in your decisions um, is astounding. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I've, mm. I've literally talked with hundreds and hundreds of people on the show, and this is a very unique interview. I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Thank you so much. It was absolutely wonderful talking with you. I'll talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, thanks man. for having me. All right, see ya. 
All right, folks, that's it for today's show. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lal, and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Send us some sort of good vibes out there. You can follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. And if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. Phone number's in the, uh, you know, it's in the notes down there. Just scroll down. You'll figure it out. Uh, leave us a message if you want. We'll put it in a future episode. Or email us like a normal person at info at blamopod.com. Last but not least, if you want to hang with us and join the Blam Fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo where we have tons of exclusive episodes in our amazing Slack community. All right, folks, see you next week.